Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Awesome. Happy anniversary and or birthday, whichever one you want to... Uh, refer to it as, but this is our uh, third anniversary, our third birthday, Um, so we are excited to celebrate that. Uh, One of the things we're excited to celebrate is if you kind of track that in the life of a child, uh, we are no longer a toddler, Um, so we're no longer experiencing those kind of terrible twos, or at least we hope we get out of that in some ways. Um, We're kind of in that potty training phase now, or at least attempting to make a good effort at it. But we are now kind of moving into this so-called preschooler age from three to five years old. And so that's, um, I don't know how many different analogies I can try to work out with that over this sermon. But uh, this is kind of the phase that we're moving into. And we're excited to move into this as a church. Last year, for our second anniversary, um, I shared a really vulnerable sermon um, that was just kind of um, providing to us the, the... realities of what it means to belong to a church, um, and specifically a church plant, and how a lot of times when you come into a church or you come into a new church, you can kind of have this uh, grand gesture or this grand idea that this is going to be the most amazing thing that I belong to or that I commit to or that I participate in, and regardless of what church you ever connect into, uh, we, we kind of wanted to put before people kind of bursting that bubble, um, and the reality is that this is a beautiful mess that we are a part of, um, because it's, it's a mission that God is ordained, and that he's orchestrated, and that he's built in order for people to push back darkness within their culture, push back darkness within their community, which means you're going to be in the mess, and you're going to have people, sinners, come into this beautiful mess with broken lives, with brokenness that's involved um, within their hearts and within their minds. And there's going to be this process of them becoming more like Jesus, which means there's still going to be this process of, of every single one of us in this room messing up and letting one another down and, and not being um, in full pursuit of each other and, and having events fall through and having all kinds of things kind of war against trying to create something that's really harmonious. And so kind of that was, it was really weird for it to be an anniversary sermon. It was kind of like seven points why this thing's going to go bad. Um, and, and that's kind of what we shared last year as a church. We just shared that the journey of a church, regardless of size, regardless of age, whether it's a hundred years old established church or it was a two-year-old church plant, um, goes through difficult times. And goes through difficult seasons and goes through difficult moments where you're really wrestling and really struggling with emotional baggage and spiritual baggage and just all kinds of different things. And so during that sermon, really what we wanted to hold on to was, well, one, I just wanted to burst the bubble uh, that, that this wasn't going to be something great in the sense of what we would kind of consider culturally great. Um, it wasn't going to be something that's always happy and that's always um, positive and, and 
happy-go-lucky, whatever it looks like, like, but rather it was just this idea that this is going to be something that's very difficult for us to belong to. And so what do we focus on when we, when we are involved in that kind of difficult community? And we focus on Jesus. We focus on Jesus. And that's where we want to center our lives around is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because we know if we focus it on um, come to the district because we have great programs. Come to the district because everything's going to work out. Come to the district because we don't meet in a traditional church. We meet in the basement of a refinery co-working space. Like if, if we put all of our hope in those things and we try to anchor it to those things, well then you'll probably be here three months, maybe six months, and then you'll move on to the next thing because we'll let you down. But if we are centering around a community that is centering around Jesus Christ and Him being our only hope, then that journey that we're walking through will be able to grow and will be able to mature and will be able to become more like Jesus because we're focused on Jesus. Now, do we want to improve ministries and the programs and those things? Yeah, we want to do things with excellence, but we want to make sure that those things are centered around Christ. And that they're focused on him. And that he's being magnified. And so today, I don't want to do anything different other than that exact same thing. So if last year what we focused on was the journey, today what I want to look at is the destination. The destination. Where, what is our destination? Where are we ultimately hoping to end up? Both as a church, um, locally, the district church, and also just as a church globally. What is our End. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. It's really the question that I'm going to ask is, what is our destination is going to be the first question. And the second question is, um, if that's our destination and it's a journey to get there, what do we hold on to in the here and now? So I want you to open up your Bibles uh, with me to Revelation chapter 21. Open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Oftentimes when a pastor... Um, ask you to turn to Revelation, people get nervous that he's going to like predict the end of times or predict the future, and I'm not going to do that. I, I was told not to, um, but uh, just kidding, I have no idea. Revelation 21, we're going to be looking at the first seven verses, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hardback black one around you uh, or in close proximity. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you as well. You can take that with you. Revelation 21, 1 through 7 is what the word of the Lord says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. God, we want to come to you right now. We want to pray, asking, Lord, that as we've read your scripture, we know that the Holy Spirit right now who's residing in this room, who's residing in the hearts of those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ, is guiding us in understanding these scriptures. So, Father, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would pierce right now our hearts and our minds to bring us into understanding the message that you have for us to be more transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, to think more like him, to love more like him, and to ultimately have a hope that is established within our identities that we can anchor our lives to for the rest of our life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I've got three things that I want us to see in this passage that my prayer, again, is that there will be a hope established for us as a destination of where we're going to end up. A hope that, that builds within us that regardless of how bad things go here, that this is our end. This is our destination. This is what we get to look forward to. This is what we get to long after is this end, this destination. And the first one is this. Heaven is going to be a wedding ceremony. It's going to be a wedding reception. It's going to be a celebration. God the Father literally walking his daughter, the global church, to his beloved son, Jesus Christ. This is the image that we see within this picture. God himself declaring, like from the throne, declaring at this ceremony, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What we are seeing in this wedding ceremony is the perfect, the perfect, unhindered, completely known, fully accepted holy matrimony and union of all believers with Jesus Christ. This is what we're seeing played out as our end, as our destination, as, as what we get to hope for and long for. For those of you who have been married or who have attended a wedding, we see dimly this beautiful picture. You kind of get, like, right as everyone's gathered for the ceremony, and usually the, the officiant comes out, and the groom comes out with his groomsmen, and they're sitting, waiting, and the music starts playing, and traditionally the, the father will walk out with the bride and start coming down the aisle, and, and everyone's in this anticipation. Everyone's feeling this angst. Everyone's feeling this longing uh, that you can't wait to see the beauty of the bride. And so as she starts walking down the aisle, everyone kind of has this awestruck moment of just how glorious and how beautiful she looks and then everyone wants to kind of turn and look at the groom to see if he's ugly crying um, <laughs> kind of in this situation and then comes down to the end and you, you begin to celebrate just the joining of these two lives and this is that's just a a beautiful picture but a dim picture of what we're going to see and what we're going to experience in heaven the wedding ceremony of the church in Jesus Christ is not necessarily having the focal point on the bride 
That's kind of traditionally how we think about it because of our culture. But the wedding ceremony in heaven is not going to be focused on how beautiful the bride is, the church. It's not going to be this anticipation and this angst of seeing the bride in her glory, but rather seeing the groom, Jesus Christ. And finally, the unhindered walking into union of holy matrimony with him. Where no longer do we have this experience around us of this presence of sin that we still continue to deal with today. Nor do we have the effects of sin anymore. But rather, he has now finally removed from us the presence, power, and penalty of sin once and for all. It's all focused around Jesus Christ. It's all focused around finally bringing the church to her groom. And I love this because one of the products of this becomes the second point. The second point I want you to see is because we get Jesus Christ as our bridegroom. He promises, he promises as it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. I think this week my sons have experienced every single one of those things except for death. Just this constant lifestyle of just pain and crying and tears and mourning whenever a battery runs out in a car, like a little toy car. Like it's, it's just this constant just turmoil within them. And it's like everything within me to just wish I could like just wipe all that away. But like I don't have that power. Like it's, I got to plug it in. It's got to charge for several hours before I can give it back to you again and bring, you know, induct happiness back into the family. But this is what Jesus is going to be doing for us. Is that not only do we get Jesus, but the byproduct of receiving Jesus is that all of these things are removed from us. I mean, how many, how many in this room can, can literally say this week you experienced one of these things at least, if not multiple things? How many of you cried tears this week? How many of you have experienced pain this week? How many of you have experienced some sort of mourning this week? And I'm not talking about like good morning in the morning. I'm talking about mourning like where there's pain around you. There's death around you. There's something that's happened that caused grievance within you. Maybe we're mourning the loss of a family member. Maybe we're mourning an in-between in a job situation. Maybe we're mourning um, the loss of a friendship. Maybe we're mourning something that is causing us stress and anxiety. And what Jesus is telling us that there will come a day when you are fully united with me in holy matrimony where I will wipe away all of those things. This is our destination Our lives should long for this day. If your life doesn't long for that day, then I think you have a really weird understanding of what life is. Because if we're kind of, there's this country song out right now. I don't know who it's from. Josh could probably tell me. Um, I think it's Brantley Gilbert where he's like talking about uh, if everyone's looking for heaven, but he's, this is terrible. He's basically with a girl, you know what I mean, and he's saying like if, (laughs) I know, my illustrations are horrible, Um, 
I got in trouble for like the John Wick thing a few weeks ago, but it's a good movie. You should watch it. Um, but he's saying like if, if, if heaven's more than, like he's basically saying, I don't want to go to heaven because this is heaven for me. And, and what you're seeing in that is there's so many people right now who feel like I'm living my best life now. I have every, like, this is good. This is, this is good life. Like, this is awesome. I, or, or a lot of times you maybe not aren't there yet. I remember thinking, like, back before I got married and before I had kids, I was like, Jesus, if you could just hold off until I get married and until I get married and until I'm able to have kids and do those things, like, like, until that happens, then, Jesus, you can return. And, like, here's the reality, guys. Like, I've been there, and I love, love my wife. I always get in trouble for doing this as well. But love my wife, love my kids. But Jesus is better. He's better. And I can't wait for the day that we get to enter into this holy matrimony with him. Yes, we're in it now. Yes, I have Christ now. But we still, in this kind of in-between, are still experiencing the effects of sin. Still experiencing the effects of crying and mourning and pain. And Jesus says, I will remove that from you. Man, I hope we long for that. I long for that. And the third thing, God tells the Apostle John, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What God is doing in this right here is he is declaring that this future event, this future wedding ceremony is already done. It's a sure thing. It will happen. God who stands outside of time who today is able to look at yesterday and tomorrow in the present, is giving the Apostle John a moment to stand outside of time and see what God sees in the future. The reason why I believe God does this is to give us, the bride of Christ, an assurance of salvation, a confidence in our faith, a steadfastness in our trust that when God says something, you can rest assured that you can take that check to the bank and it will clear. That when God promises that this will happen for those who are believers in Christ, we can rest assured it will happen. Nothing can thwart the promises of God. Nothing can change this. God says it will happen, it will happen. And we can rest assured in that. And you might say, easy now, like this is, you're starting to kind of sound like that um, name it, claim it, kind of like this will happen. All you got to do is just pray it, like kind of the health, wealth, prosperity thing. But like what I'm, I'm not talking about confidence in health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm talking about confidence in that in the future. That yes, there will be a health, wealth, and prosperity that we get when we enter into this full, unhindered relationship with Jesus Christ. That we get... Health in the sense of a completely new glorified body that does not break down. Wealth in the sense that we get the inheritance that is a co-heir with Christ. What belongs to Christ belongs to us. And prosperity in the sense that uh, you get to live forever with Jesus in heaven. There's nothing greater than that when it comes to prosperity. 
But guess what? He doesn't promise that for us in the here and now. The Bible actually promises something a lot different in the here and now. That through suffering, he will bring us into his glory. Just as Jesus, through suffering and suffering to the point of death on a cross, has brought about salvation, we too, following Jesus, will receive this salvation through our own forms of suffering until the day that he removes it fully. That's why, again, last year I preached this is not going to be easy. That it's not going to be harmonious at all times. That you're not going to have perfect pastors. Don't say amen. <laughs> that there's not going to be perfect programs. That there's not going to be... I mean, I, I, this was hilarious. Um, I'm call her out. She's still visiting with us. But Sarah Faulkner, just like three or four weeks ago, we were doing a, a little district training upstairs. And she shows up for the first time. First time visitor walks in. Nobody at the front door greeting. Nobody kind of in the hallway where the stairs are. Coming down, nobody in the area out here. It's kind of like, welcome to the district church. And we kind of joke now like we did that on purpose to show the need that we have for service uh, when it comes to greeting people in our church. But, but it's the reality. It, it, you can immediately walk into something and see the faults and failures that are within an organization, that are within a church. And if we were to focus on those things that are supposed to kind of be self-serving for us, then it would be easy to get frustrated. But God doesn't tell us that he's bringing us into a perfect church because he knows it's going to be full of broken people. You can go anywhere you want. You're not going to find a perfect church. You're never going to find a church that, that checks off all the boxes that you're looking for. Guys, I, I, I planted this church and it's not even the church that I would want to belong to. That sounds terrible. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. I didn't, get the, <laughs> I didn't get the church that I wanted, but we got the church that we needed. We got the church that we needed. Four years ago, we, we landed here, and we were seven months pregnant, not knowing a soul in Indianapolis, except for our, my wife's father. <laughs> and... And we had these grand gestures for what the district church was going to look like. We had it all written down on paper. We'd been praying for this for three years up until that point. The district church has been in a conceptive idea for almost seven years now. And we knew landing in Indianapolis, all we got to do is kind of put paper to some kind of organized structure. And then all of a sudden, the people are just going to flock to this thing. And it's going to be, it's going to be wonderful. If we would have got what we wanted... I honestly don't know that I would be standing up here right now. I want to be the man that I am today, that I'm still hopefully growing into. There would be so many of my blind spots that would have never been revealed. There would be so many of, of accountability and empowering other people that would not have happened. And we're still in that process. We're still figuring those things out. We didn't get the church we wanted. We got the church we needed. And I think that's important for us. 
So the first point of our destination is that we are awaiting a wedding celebration with Jesus. And at that wedding celebration, we are receiving the full gift of God in the person of Jesus Christ. As our groom, whom we get to know and live with in unhindered holy matrimony. Second point is that as a byproduct of this holy matrimony with Jesus, he's going to wipe away all suffering. And the third point is that we can rest assured that nothing can keep this day from happening. Jesus is not going to get cold feet. The groom is there and awaiting for God the Father to bring us to him in all glory. So how will we get to our destination? What do we do until we get there? Turn to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I want you to see something. And I'm not going to go in great description of this because we're going to be covering this in our series in the book of Acts when we get to the church being planted in Ephesus. But I want you to see something that kind of is the end of the church in Ephesus before we've ever actually even gotten to the beginning of it. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, you have the angel of the Lord who's writing to this church, basically Jesus Christ telling this church kind of a, 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 an assessment of them. And this is what he says to them. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, verses 1 through 7, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. He says in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. A very brief story background of the church in Ephesus. This is literally, this church is one of the greatest and most successful churches that has ever existed in the past two millennia. That's a bold statement, but just listen to some of their leadership. They started out with this guy who's very eloquent, very eloquent teacher, very knowledgeable named Apollos. And he was teaching the people, but he was teaching the people regarding the baptism of John the Baptist. So he hadn't quite heard or understood the role of the Holy Spirit post-Pentecost. But he came in teaching the gospel to Ephesus and was able to make new disciples in that place. From Apollos, then we have the Apostle Paul who comes into Ephesus planting the church. And this is what we'll see when we get to it in Acts. Paul comes in and he meets these disciples and he asks them, um, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? And they say, no, we've heard of the baptism of John. That's what Apollos has taught us. And so the apostle Paul comes and provides for them the baptism of the Holy Spirit to where they then start speaking in tongues and they begin prophesying and they begin doing just incredible miracle works within this community. 
And the Apostle Paul stays with the church for three years, longer than he stayed with any other church that he's planted in the entire New Testament. Stayed with them for three years preaching. I mean, so think about like the Apostle Paul's the church planter within this church and then is preaching and teaching there for three years. You, you've got no one else who's probably influenced Christianity more outside of Jesus Christ than the Apostle Paul. And you've got him leading the charge of this church. You then have the Apostle Paul, whose protege, Timothy, he sends Timothy to Ephesus to become one of the elders and pastors at the church in Ephesus. So you essentially have Paul 2.0 then leading and shepherding the church. And then from there, so you've got First and Second Timothy that were both written from Paul to Timothy to then be addressed to the church. And so you have um, some of the best written literature when it comes to developing leaders and making disciples within the church. And then from there, you also have the Apostle John, the beloved John, the John who's reclining at the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper, the one whom Jesus just shows so much great affection for and love for. You have John who finishes out his years eldering and shepherding and pastoring the church in Ephesus. So that not only do you have the book of John, you've got 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and you have the author of Revelation who is shepherding this church in Ephesus. I mean, talk about leadership there. Like, that's amazing. And then not only that, but you have this church that it says, as we'll see in Acts, that the word of the Lord was so prevalent among the people that the word went out not only in Ephesus so that everybody in all of Asia has heard the gospel. I mean, no other church in this, this first century could talk about that type of gospel influence and gospel message. Gospel advancement. I mean, this church was nailing it. And then you have this story of them. A church that if you were to read in, in those first four verses, first three verses, I'm telling you, if I'm church shopping, I'm going to this church. You endure with patience. You don't allow false teachers to come in among your body. You don't grow weary. I mean, talk about a volunteer team that does not grow weary. That's amazing. Like, I want to sign up. Whatever you're drinking, whatever's in your communion juice, whatever it is, like, sign me up. Like, I want to be a part of this church. But then he says in verse 4, this is what I have against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen and repent. This sounds to the extent that you are looking for a church who has become more in love with the teachings of Jesus than they are Jesus. They're more concerned with doing things the right way than they are concerned with the way more concerned with who is in their membership than concerned with whom their membership follows. We as a church are moving into, as I said, our preschool years where we are going to be growing in our education. We're going to be growing in our knowledge of the Lord, increasing in our study of God's word on both Sunday mornings and in community groups, increasing in our knowledge of God and doctrine, found in scripture in our institute classes that we'll be offering, 
increasing in our theological understandings when it comes to our elder candidacy and our member development. These are all ministry programs that we are developing and building upon and increasing in and going to be rolling out. Although all of those things are good and right, if we do those things and forget about Jesus, then it's all in vain. It's all in vain. Listen again to what God reveals to the Apostle John. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The idea of a lampstand is is essentially the presence of Jesus working on mission within that church to advance the gospel. If he removes that, that church just becomes a country club. Becomes a secular institution organized by people around an idea that is no longer gospel-centered. And this is the church in Ephesus. How easy is it to slide into doing church rather than being church? And so for us, if our hope and destination is the holy wedding matrimony with Jesus Christ, we cannot long or we cannot wait to get there. We long to be there. That's our destination. That's where we get to place our hope in. What is the hope in the current day to day? It's not going to be in our programs. It's not going to be in our elder candidacy. It's not going to be in our uh, ministries that we offer. It's not going to be whether or not someone's greeting someone at the front door. Our hope's not going to be in those things. Our hope is only going to be in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who says, I will build my church. I will build my church. So my hope for us is that we And as we move into this in the book of Acts beginning next week again, and as we approach the church in Ephesus, and as we see what they did at first, man, I pray that that sparks within us a way of living that does not allow the the programs and the ministries within a church to, to distract us away from being focused on Jesus Christ. Rather, they should support and point us to Jesus Christ. And may we as members within the district church constantly look to one another to say, have you forgotten Jesus? Are you remembering Jesus today? Are you praying to Christ? Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you remembering the love you had at first? Like, you remember those days when you became a believer and like everything you see, like you're looking at a telephone pole and you just see the cross and you're looking at the back of a tow truck and you just see the cross and like you're looking at windowsills and you just see the cross because like everything was centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, there's something weird that happens in the life of a church where those things start to fade and we start to just focus more on the institution of a church rather than the organism of a church that's focused on Jesus Christ. May we get back to what we love at first, Jesus. And I would pray that if there's anything distracting us from that, that we will strip ourselves of it and get back to Jesus.
focus on him and him alone. Repentance isn't just for sinners to come to faith. Repentance is an ongoing thing. As Martin Luther says, the the mark of a Christian life should be repentance. What's robbing me today of knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, communing with Jesus, being in full union with Jesus, what's robbing me today of being able to experience that? Let's cast those things off and get back to Jesus Christ. Because what we want at the district church is for every single person in this room to say one thing. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. God, we we thank you. We thank you for what you have accomplished. God, we come to a service like this. We come to a day like this where we are celebrating the mark of, of three years as a church that has been planted in this city. God, we know We know that this cannot happen apart from you. That as Jesus says in John 15, that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. It's Jesus who is building his church. It's Jesus who is growing his church. It's Jesus who is developing disciples within his church. Jesus is the senior pastor of his church. He's the leader. We want to be all about him and him alone. We don't want anything to distract us. So Lord, Holy Spirit, please continue to convict our hearts, convict our minds to be able to see the things that distract us away from Jesus. Bring us back to him. If there are things that we need to repent of, let us repent of those things. Let us focus in on Jesus Christ. Let us lift him up. Let our lives be all about him. Let our words, our speech, lift up the name of Jesus. Let our song praise and worship Jesus. Let our prayers be saturated in the person and work of Jesus. Let our reading and scripture focus on Jesus Christ and the redemptive story of what he has done. God, may you be honored and glorified in all things that we do because in all things that we do, they are about Jesus. May we be more in love with Jesus than anything else. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. As we come to a... Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at